Hi, everybody, and welcome to Cooper Parry's Hubseed podcast. And oh my goodness, have we got an awesome speaker today. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have none other than the chairman of Gymshark, Paul Richardson, a serial entrepreneur who is going to be sharing with us loads of insights across all the things that he's learned from his entrepreneurial journey. And of course, we'll be talking about Gymshark itself and some of the amazing things that those guys are doing in the months and years ahead. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Paul. Uh, thanks, John. Um, it's a pleasure to join you. Thanks. Brilliant. Yeah, no, well, okay, you look very much on brand today, Paul. Uh, the offices look great, lovely chair, really nice t-shirt you're wearing that, you know, look, looking very, very Gymsharky. <laughs> yeah, we, we try our best. I mean, even though I'm uh, slightly older than our demographic, well, a good bit older than our demographic, um, you know, um, I'm still allowed to wear the stuff inside the office. <laughs> so, Paul, um, Gymshark is obviously a brand that is everywhere at the moment, incredibly popular. It's an incredible story. So today would be really good to obviously hear about how Gymshark has become the company that it has. But more interesting at the moment is focusing on your own entrepreneurial journey. My understanding is that you know, you've built and exited a number of businesses in a different, a whole different array of different sectors. Can you just give us a, a brief understanding, an outline of your, your own entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, um, obviously my career goes back a, a long time. I mean, I'm uh, 61, as at the moment, going towards 62. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, my first sort of foray into business was waste management um, and recycling. And I was in that for many, many years. Um, from the age of around 18, I literally couldn't wait to leave school to get to work and um, sort of joined in with my father's business. Even though it was my father's business, I, I was a shareholder at 18. Um, exited that business in 1989 before maybe some of the people that maybe will listen to this were born. Um, and um, I then just moved forward to waste companies um through to year 2000 um and i'm not sure how much detail you want because i could ramble for a long no, long no, time no, we, we've the thing is for we've, we've you know we've got some great time with you so you know to get the context right. would be fantastic. so take your time enjoy it so we, we we built that first company up um from 1989 um sorry into the 1989 when we sold it so we sold it in 1989 to the second largest waste management company in the world and at that point, I thought I was just under 30. Wow, these are American guys. Uh, the world is my oyster. They talked a great game. And, you know, I'm going to be taken all over the world with them. And they promised me all sorts of things. But the reality was that, um, you know, they, they, although they were the, you know, the second biggest in the world, um, you know, the promises they made me you know, just didn't come true. And, you know, um, my sort of dreams were quite shattered. So I did my uh, 36 months uh, on my restrictive governance and then I started again. So I then started off to build a waste company. My father passed away uh, uh, when I was about 30 and um, started off doing, doing it on my own. And with all the stuff that he'd taught me and, you know, all over those many years. And, um, and I built up the largest regional waste management company in the country. Um, and I then sold it back to them in year 2000, so which was quite bittersweet um, for a, for a you know uh, a few few pounds, which was nice. Um, and then I had, I had a sort of dream at that time where I got everything was in one basket, all my eggs were in one basket, and I wanted to um, sort of di diversify into other things. I just thought there was other things that I could do, and I wanted to do so. I sort of started up a few different companies and did a few different things. So some connected to waste, so special waste management. Um, I was uh, decommissioning um, uh, garage forecourts, um, collecting waste oil, and then we were building uh, waste trucks. So all connected, um, but I was still, you know, it wasn't in, in one area. Um, and that, that was that was good. And then along, along those lines, when I was doing that, came along um, two things, which was Birmingham City Football Club. And I was asked to join the board of Birmingham City um, around the year sort of uh, 2001. And um, 
I joined with David Sullivan, David Gold, and Karen Brady. And, you know, fantastic. Those are three household names there. I mean, that's that in itself must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a a lifelong Blues fan. So we asked to go on to to the board and to to buy into that company as a a PLC company. Um, But then not just to go on to the normal board, I was was asked to go on to the PLC. So it was, you know, even a a higher accolade for me um, to do that. So it was a a pleasure. I travelled around the country to all the different premiership uh, uh, grounds and met all different people, like people like, you know, Bobby Charlton, uh, who is one of my wow. heroes, uh, you know, different footballers, Sven Goran Eriksson, um, and, and, you know, just anyone connected with football. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, an absolute dream of an experience to be involved with it. And initially I was brought on uh, when we were in the, um, what is now the championship. Um, and I was only there six months. And the idea was David, that, that, that they're, they're basically, you know, London porn barons. Um, and, you know, they were quite misunderstood as businessmen. But probably David Sullivan is probably one of the best businessmen that I've ever met um, in okay. terms of switched on. Um, why, is that, why, is that, why, why is that, Paul? That's, that's a, a big thing. So his brain was so tuned in that a player would get injured and would get put onto a stretcher or would be taken off. He would instantly say, we, we sat together a lot of the time, he would say to me, he'd say, he was going to be off for three weeks. That's going to cost us this amount in wages, this amount in this. So that injury is just going to cost us, you know, £200,000. And that was before the player had got to the tunnel. So, <laughs> yeah, so just, just switched on, you know, in, in, in you know, and, and you wouldn't dream of it if you, you know, from the outside with these porn businesses and things that they do. So I was brought on as the local guy to really help them get some local profile. And of course, then we, we within six months, we went into premiership. And then it was just a lot easier for me then to bring on local businesses to help out with, um, you know, um, uh, any any sponsorship and, and things like that and get them more acclimatized in the in the business. And Paul, you, you're, um, you're a Birmingham City supporter. You're a lifelong Birmingham City supporter, right? Yes, still am. Um, yeah. And so nothing's changed there. What, what is it like? Because I'm a Leicester City supporter and, you know, I can have the disappointment of a loss on a Saturday or a Sunday or midweek, whatever, and, and, and forget about it pretty quickly until the next game. What's it like when you're a fan, but also you're really involved in the kind of running of the, of, of, of the club? What, what is that like? Um, it, it takes on a different level because obviously yeah. from, a, from a normal fan, when you don't really know what's going on with the club. You know, it's always, I'll buy some new players, do this, do that. The manager's an idiot, whatever that might be. You know, the players aren't doing this, that, and the other. As a as a business, when the guys are there and you've got everything to, to pay and everything has to sort of balance if you possibly can. And to be fair, the guys, uh, you know, David and, 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 and Karen, it always had to balance. It always has to be sensible within business. They would always loan the Birmingham City Football Club money without an issue if there was a player they wanted, but they always wanted to know that they could get it back. And it was got back at, you know, it wasn't punitive in any way, shape or form. Um, but yeah, you just understand other things and, and you can never satisfy, you know, everyone, you know, so in, in a club, you're just not going to satisfy everyone, even if you're high flying, there's always going to be something wrong. Is it super stressful? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I always remember when I used to go to a match and literally 15, half an hour before, 15 minutes before, my stomach would just knot up with anticipation. Really? And, be, oh, what's going to happen today? Are we going to lose like 3-0? Um, my, my opening premiership game was Arsenal and, and we lost 3-0 in the set in the first half. And it was, we, we were near, we drew in the second half. <laughs> it was, it was just 3-0 towards the end. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was a bit of a baptism of fire. Because, but, because you, you were worried about the repercussions of, you know. Yeah, you know, you're always, you know, always thinking about things and, and, you know, there's a lot of money involved and even more so today, even more so. Yeah. Um, can I just backtrack just one moment? You, you, you know, you mentioned that with the um, waste, waste business, it was the second largest in the world. And the second time you were talking, it was the largest regionally. 
has it always been your intention to, to to build and scale fast and build these big businesses or has that just evolved has it what i'm trying to get to is it something you've always set out to do or is it just it, it's, it's evolved as you basically run the businesses or both? i always um my my sort of mantra is always about working really really hard yeah and i used to work long long hours so the way i looked at it if i worked seven days a week and my competitors only worked five i was two days a week ahead of them which was over the year was 100 days a year ahead of them um but i always wanted to be the best so you know um originally it was it was in birmingham you know i wanted to be the best in birmingham um after that it was the best in the west midlands and it was the best in the midlands and i used to just you know um sort of revere in that sort of challenge all the time um but again it was it was with the, the waste business i was in at that time it was you know quite a small pond and i was ended up i was a, a pretty big fish in the small ponds and, and that's what was um that drove me further down the line to want to, to want to be the smaller fish in the big pond and grow yeah yeah so yeah in in answer is yeah it was to just drive on and you know, my growth as a waste company does not compare to Gymshark, by the way. You know, Gymshark is something super special. And Gymshark is a, is a one-off that we're probably unlikely to see for a long time. Um, but my growth for my businesses on my own with no capital and et cetera was, was also pretty, pretty good. Wow. The- so, so we've got waste management. We've got um, a period of time in football. And then we've got All Saints. Now, I say All Saints because it's a brand all of us know. It's a, a really well-known retail brand. How did that opportunity come about? And also, if you could, the second question, explain. I mean, that's a completely different industry to what you basically learn your business trade in. Yeah, yeah. So um, when I, you know, sort of sold in 2000, uh, as I said, I was always got an open mind to to anything. And um I had a friend of mine, uh, still still a friend of mine now, a guy called Mick Dunn. And and way back in the day, and I knew Mick when I was in my you know very early twenties, twenty years old. Um, he'd invested all of his money in a in a in a shop in Birmingham. He was with it was with Reese. He was Reese met he was with Reese Menswear, and he was the MP. And he decided to invest all of his savings and all his money into a, basically a franchise, uh, which is like an unofficial type franchise with All Saints in Birmingham. And he had a, a one shop in Cannon Street, Birmingham. And he called me one day, literally, you know, uh, frantic, because um, All Saints, uh, which was owned by a guy called Stuart Trevor, um, had gone into an administration. Problem was that, you know, he didn't, he didn't own the stock, he got the stock, but he hadn't probably paid for it. And therefore, the administrator probably would want that back. And you know, Mick was quite distraught in terms of, you know, well, I could sort of lose everything. So we found out who the administrators was and um, it was actually someone I, I knew and we got in touch with them. And basically, I, uh, from my point of view, was the front for the money because I had you know money from the sale of my previous company um, to buy All Saints um, at that time. All Saints at that time was a, was a cult brand. You know, it was pure cult. It had about eight shops. Stuart Trevor was a really, really talented designer. Yeah. Along with Kate Bollinger, who's partner. Um, but I think Stuart would probably admit this himself. In, in terms of business, it, it wasn't his, 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 you know, his forte. It wasn't his thing, but it was for Mick. So what we did was we basically um, sort of split the business three ways where I would front the money, Mick would... Um, Mick would run the company as managing director and Stuart would there to be, I suppose the best word would be creative director. Yeah. Um, so it was a sort of perfect alignment, really. You know, we all had, you know, um, an amount of shares in the business and, and away it went. And we sort of took it originally very, very quickly. We took six leases off the administrators and then we started to rebuild it into a more sort of uh, organized brand and Mick was really, really good, you know, the, the, one of the best in the business. Um, and we created uh, All Saints uh, in its infancy as it is today, you know. And I think when I got out, because again, you know, my um, my involvement was literally to do with finance, 
and 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 giving the guys guidance in terms of business and strategy and things like that. But you know, designing clothes, you know, what to put where in a shop and and you know what to sell at what price was all to do with the other guys. And um, we had an offer from the guys who owned Karen Millen and um, Icelandic guys, and we decided, you know, it was the time for me to to move out. So so I. I exited very happily. Um, Mick stayed. Mick and, and Stuart carried on. Mick exited a while afterwards, and I'll say 12 months, 18 months, but I'm not 100% sure. And I know Stuart stayed in a little bit longer and exited after that. But uh, then, it, you know, that's where All Saints is, is is today. You know, for many people, Paul, you know, built, built a, a family business, exited a family business, Sold it, rebuilt it, sold it back, and then great time with Birmingham, Birmingham City. What you've just spoken about with All Saints, you know, by that point, wow, okay, you bought the serial entrepreneur T-shirt. You know, I'm sure very happy with the way life has gone. So, tell us therefore how the Gymshark opportunity came about, because obviously, very, very interesting what you guys have done there. There was there was a little bit in between, to be fair. Um, so I, I, I got divorced in 2005 and, you know, um, said goodbye to a share of my money, which was fine. And um, I um, I went back into the waste business. And whilst I was back in the waste business in, in, a, in a smaller way and starting off again, um, I was approached by a company called No Waste from the USA. Yep. And they, were, they had technology that would recycle um, nappies. And um, nappies in the, I'll just use the UK, for instance, there's 1.1 million tonnes of um, used nappies disposed of in the UK every single year. And it all, virtually all goes to landfill. So, and it's majority of it is plastic and it is a fibre. So yeah. it's recyclable. But, but the technology that they got was flawed. Um, so I joined up with those guys, um, sold off my waste company, small one. And basically, um, we set about changing the uh, um, the technology that they got because it was a US European based technology um, to be a, a UK based technology. And that involved um, uh, building a plant in West Bromwich over the other side of the Midlands and uh, building a development plant that cost, in about, cost about eight million pounds. But in there, we basically um, we uh, put processes forward and new processes and develop them that could recycle virtually 99% of a nappy into a product, into product. Wow. Um, so that was called No Waste. While I was there, that's, we... That's, we, that's serious innovation. It's the best process in the world and we developed and... Um, Talking, you know, just just going back to, um, you know, uh, big fish, small ponds, etc. When when No Ways came along, you know, um, the thing that I liked was that this was a worldwide problem and no one had yep. solved it. Yeah. And that, you know, if I got involved, I'd be involved in something worldwide. And and and, and within that business, I've I've travelled to oh, all over the world looking at this from the states, Canada. You know, Belgium, Holland, Germany, France, um, Israel, um, many, many others, and all over the UK, um, basically developing this process. But the thing I liked was that it was it was me being that small fish, and I was jumping into a really, really big pond, and not being frightened of that. And uh, along with Roy Brown, who was, uh, you know, uh, the CEO and my partner in that business. Um, we became number one and number two, and I was number two. I let, I let him have number one um, authority <laughs> recycling nappies in the world. So, you know, a guy a guy from Birmingham who was, a, you know, a skip driver, you know, lay under trucks, etc. you know, was quite parochial in Birmingham, never really been very far. You know, all of a sudden I was number two in the world at something which, you know, yeah, I would like to be number one, but, you know, uh, it was my partner, so, you know, we just... We just took it as number one, number one and number two. Um, really, really exciting times. Um, it's still a technology that was before its time. It will happen. Yep. And we'll use that as a prediction on this 
this podcast and yeah, uh, yeah um, nappy recycling will come to the UK and to the Europe um, because there's plenty of people who are trying it um, we, we pulled out of the UK we had a, a huge uh, impetus in London to do it and the planners just kept and the politicians kept pushing us back so um, we decided uh, at that point to, to pull out of the UK and currently there's there's things going on in Israel and South Africa to um, to try and put that forward. Um, and then while I was doing that, we uh, we closed the plant in, in West Bromwich and um, I moved uh, the offices and there was only a, a few of us because we'd done all the development, all the engineers, all the designers. They all needed to go and it was just a business case. And we moved to uh, just the other side of Bromsgrove and um and, and i live that direction anyway so and i, and I used david lloyd jim in bromsgrove and that's where i met uh, ben and lewis so, late 2013. so that starts the next the, the next chapter now 2012 the business was uh was officially launched wasn't it by by ben and, yeah. and lewis now 2013 is when you had started to really get involved with the business. Talk to us about how that started to come about. Yeah, it was, um, so it, it wasn't a huge involvement at that time. So I used to see the guys at the gym and they were sort of, you know, in this little group of cocky, cocky young guys at the gym, strutting <laughs> and, um, you know, flashing their abs and things like that. <laughs> you know, it's all good. And, um, Apparently, you know, um, according to Ben, and I only found this out a couple of months ago, I was known as the business guy. And and they used to ask me questions, you know, just saying, what do we do about this? What do we do about that? Blah, 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 blah. And um, eventually got to the point where there was just questions all the time. And um, you, you, you turn up for a workout and all of a sudden you're getting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like these young guys sort of, we used to call it pecking our heads, you know, sort of. Uh, um, but they then said to me, look, we need we need some help. You know, um, we, we need to help. And the one turning point of that was um, Ben came in one day. And uh, at that point, they were turning over about four and a half million. And there was there was eight people uh, in their office working. That's all in the warehouse, etc. They were mainly, you know, relatives and things like that. And there was, you know, Ben and Lewis were the two owners and they were doing everything as well. You know, everyone did everything, you know. But uh, Ben came to me and, and he looked terrible. This is what's going on. And he just said, We're, I haven't slept for sort of five days really properly. Uh, we've ordered some um, product from China from their normal supplier, um, you know, who, who they'd never visited their factory. They didn't know where their factory was. They'd never seen these people, but they were ordering, you know, quite a, quite a substantial amount of product from them. And um, he said they hadn't delivered. They'd actually gone out on their website. And therefore, you know, people were trying to buy it and they were launching it. And it was all a real mess. And Ben, you know, was in particular was really, really worried. And I just said to him, you need another option. You know, we need to find you another option. And I had a friend who uh, was, was bringing in, uh, designing and bringing in clothes from Turkey. So Turkey was, you know, a three-week road journey away. So again, the turnaround much quicker than coming by boats from china yep. um, i said look i'll get an introduction and um they came to my office which is in bromsgrove because they had no room they didn't actually have an office they just had a, a warehouse and it was always a complete mess and if there was a desk it was always full of clothes and, and you couldn't talk privately or anything so they used to come to my office for little sort of meetings and um incidentally what happened was Guys that I was introducing him to who were Midlands based, but getting his stuff from Turkey, brought an, uh, a consultant with them. That consultant was Steve Hewitt, our current CEO. Yeah. So I'd met Steve in the David Lloyd as well, but I'd never really spoken to him. I didn't know what he did. I used just to see him and say, hi, how you doing? And, and then, you know, of course I met them. Well, okay, what, what are you here for? And he was like, well, I'm these guys consultant and, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when he was talking, I just had a real, uh, I, I knew what he was talking about. You know, I, I wasn't there as an advisor from the clothing point of view. I was just there for, you know, to, to conjure it, the, to join the dots with, you know, two lots of people. 
So I said, he'll stay behind afterwards. So he stayed behind in the office and I really got talking to him and found out he was ex-Reebok and he was ex-here, there and everywhere and massive amount of experience in, in, in the industry and the sort of sector. And um, I then suggested, you need to meet my guys and you need to come and consult for us. So he did. And that's where we started. And at the sort of beginning, I was doing a day a month. He was doing the day a month. Then we he moved up to a day a week and then I moved up to a day a week and you know it just got more and more he became MD quite quickly because obviously he was it was no good him passing on and me passing on um if you know instructions or or you know guidance to Ben and Lewis when actually they didn't really know what to do with it and that's no fault of their own it's just that they'd never been in business before their parents hadn't their uncle their auntie no one that they knew had been in business and and therefore you know Stephen myself uh, our guidance was their sort of first guidance in business because they learned to trust us you know yeah. so that's when it started and so 2012 and and now and obviously it was in the the press recently it's been everywhere about the uh, billion is it billion dollars or billion billion pounds billion in terms of the valuation it's- the valuation is actually uh, one billion one hundred and fifty million. It's actually not a billion, but we we had to publicise just above a billion, but it's actually one point one five. Wow. Okay. So that is considerable growth. That is spectacular growth. That's kind of growth that doesn't really exist at the moment. Uh, when, it, when it does, but in very, very, very small pockets. Now, based on the fact that you had been very used to growth in your own businesses. Were you used to this kind of growth all of a sudden being in a, in a very, you know, very senior position, helping to now guide this company through each step at super quick time? I don't think I know anyone that would ever have been used to it. So <laughs> we're, we've got um, we've got a little saying between the three of us is we haven't done bad for three, you know, three amateurs, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> But the combination of the three of us, so just to give you some context, and I keep saying three, and obviously before that I was mentioning Lewis, Lewis Morgan. Um, Lewis decided in uh, sort of uh, September 2016 to exit the business. So, um, you know, for various reasons, he, he wasn't aligned with what we were doing and he wanted to do other things. So, you know, we had an amicable arrangement where he exited the business but remained a shareholder. So I always, now, you know, since since that time, we always talked about the three of us. And um, it, it worked really, really well because there was three lots of skill sets. You know, there was um, myself with a business sort of strategy type brain and, and used to the long game and, you know, strategic sort of planning and thinking. Um, and not, not afraid to ask a question, not afraid to throw my, my sort of 10 pence worth in. Um, quite can be quite blunt at times. Um, Steve, who obviously had great experience in in the sort of fitness um, retailing industry, you know, uh, and and a great brain for business in terms of all the detail, the minutia, you know, the commercial side of the business. There is no one I know that's better. And right. then you had and then you had Ben, which is you know he had the vision to he knows what he wants. He's always known what he wanted. And that was that laser vision for him has enabled us then as a three. We never came out of a meeting where we hadn't decided something because even if two of us wanted something and one of us didn't, it was always on the two. It didn't matter how much shareholding you got. It was a, it was a single sort of vote. And, and usually by the time, you know, if you went in thinking, oh, you know, I don't like what these two are saying, by the end of it, you go, yeah, fine. Okay, best idea wins crack on and you know we've never had a falling out we've never had crosswords in terms of um decision we've had plenty of challenges oh you know a lot of challenges and you know both up and down from ben to us and us to ben and me to ben and me to steve we've, we've had plenty of challenges because that's the nature of our business you know we, we were having a chat yesterday just obviously um before this mentioned to two key words that have been integral to that special relationship, trust and transparency. So obviously, trust me not, that means, and it'd be good to hear how you've created such trust between you, but transparency, does that mean 
that people say exactly how it is in the meetings you have you know people don't hold back if it's in your if it's in your mind you say it what it'd be good to get your kind of real understanding of what you mean by trust and transparency yeah yeah i mean the uh, the transparency side i mean a lot of that comes from i'd say from steve in particular yeah. you know he's built in such a way that's allowed us and he's he's built the sort of financials of the business that's allowed us to share good and bad news no matter what right. and to share that with the entire business rather than just with the chiefs or the directors and then everyone else has to sort of, sort of get filtered down information um and that that was all all from steve the way he wanted to do it i think you know for myself and ben as well um his 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 sort of um he wants himself to be accessible to everyone you know he doesn't want it to be that he's the you know the the founder of this company and you can't get to him you know he is accessible at all times and you know what you see is what you get um so we've developed that within the business that everyone um as i say that that you know the best idea wins is actually one of our sort of mantras here doesn't matter if you're a, you're a you know the ceo or you're an exec you know some of our best um sort of projects or best sort of brand sort of ideas have come from an exec there's in touch and on the ground and in touch with the demographic rather than you know you know a 40 year old commercial director or something like that so again it, it's 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 transparent i mean yeah there are always some things in the business that you have to wait till the business is mature enough to be totally transparent and that's probably on salaries and and, and things like that um but majority of things in this business are transparent yeah so again in in, in terms of, of everyone being equal you know we have uh, more than one car park here at hq um once down the road it's a 50-yard walk if, if a car park is full you know the ceo or myself or the director does not get a special space you know, you, you've got to park down the road and you've got to walk, whether it's raining or snowing. You know, you can't come up here and kick someone out. Um, that's just the way it is. And it's, it's the way we've always done that from the start when we were, you know, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people. to now when we're 500 plus, it's the same philosophy. You know, it's it's as, as equal as you can be within the business. So two things that I'd really like to focus with regards to the brand itself now. It's very striking, the T-shirt, Gymshark, you know, written across. It's It's got just something about it that is, you know, it's, it's a hard word to work out how you describe it, but it's, it's just magic what you guys have created with this brand. How have you how have you really built this brand? Is there is there anything that you can point to which has been instrumental in helping Gymshark to become this incredible business and brand that it is? Um, I think... Ben Francis's vision is probably the one thing because he just knows what he wants and he is he he is the consumer so the way he looks at it if he really likes it then it's what we should be doing um so the, the business is built upon brand first um you know if you look after the brand you will have customers the customers the consumer will come um, so it's always been about the brand and protecting the brand and not doing things for the wrong reason. Um, so it's just as a, for instance, you know, our turnover uh, this last year was about 265 million. Um, we could probably be in the six, 700 million easy if we sold um, sort of wholesale to people like um, JD Sports or you know, Dick Sporting Goods in the USA, because we get asked all the time. Right. But from the reason we don't is that we want to maintain the data. We want the data from the consumer. And if we go through a third party, you lose your data. Um, you also can't control who's purchasing it so well because you're not targeting, you don't know who you're targeting. But for us, the data is, is key. And we have a huge data team now of around 40 people here, and we just expanded it dramatically because we want to know everything about that consumer so that we can think almost before the consumer thinks themselves of what they might want. Um, and as a, for instance, um, if you combine the, the, the data from their purchasing or their views on Instagram or all that sort of stuff 
combine that with the app that we've got. So we we all, we, we know that Ben, you know, likes to have black tracky bottoms. He likes a, a black vest with, you know, the big writing on. He doesn't like the small writing. Um, yeah. We also deadlifts on a Thursday and a Friday. And he, he trains chest on a, on a Monday. So for the deadlifting, we can we can target him with chalk, straps, you know, lifting shoes, whatever we want to do, you know, any of the things that they would, you know, want. And uh, that means we've got extra information to sort of, and when you gel it all together and you merge it together, it's far more powerful than just someone comes to your shop, they take away your, you know, whatever they buy from you, the, the, the tracky bottoms and the, and the vest, and then you don't see them again, you don't know who they are. Right, so it's the, it's, it's the intimacy at which you get to know the ins and outs and the absolute, what they love and what they don't love is the absolute key to building up that true knowledge of your, your consumer. And it's listening to them as well, you know, I mean, um, constantly listening to the consumer and, and seeing what they want and how they want it, you know, the sort of journey that they get, um, when they get it delivered, you know, our, our customer service guys are one of the most important parts of the business because they're getting the, the things that we maybe that we, that the consumer doesn't like. So then we can, we can put it right. Um, but we, we want to know, I think one of our things is we want to know, uh, the customer better than anyone else in the world. And that way we can treat them how they want to be treated, you know, and that, and that's just, that's our, that's, that's our aim. You can you can tell it's completely in the culture. I mean, setting up this interview with you, everybody we've dealt with. I mean, Harriet, who is, you know, then secretary, just you just just amazing how 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 polite and friendly and can't do enough to help you. You can just see that it's completely ingrained into, into the culture that everybody just is, is trying to help everybody as much as they can. It's it's clearly a big thing you've got. Yeah, to do. We, we, we've got you know we have a lot of interaction with our consumers. You know the the pop ups we do. You know we get people come along and say you've you've changed our life you've changed my life, you know, you've changed everything. You know, I was suicidal, I was depressed, I was this, I was, you know, from a background or whatever. And, you know, I found Gymshark and, and, you know, you took me under your wing. And it's like, I remember talking to Ben in my office in Bromsgrove. And I, I sort of, he said something one day and he said, I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I, I want to change people's lives. And I, and I mocked him. I, I honestly, I'll say this, you know, I said, you're not Gandhi, you're not, you know, you're not, Martin Luther King, how, how are you going to do that? Because I couldn't see that at that time. But now I see it because yeah. we do. Um, but that was my, that was his vision. And in essence, even though I was older, my naivety in not understanding what he meant. And yeah. uh, you know, that's, uh, I think we spoke yesterday about something which I think is crucial within Gymshark. One of them, what I think one of the main reasons for success in terms of the business side is the ability for having um, blending the, the uh, energy and enthusiasm of, of a, a younger person with the experience and the expertise of someone older, yeah. say like myself. But the only way you can do that is having that trust and respect going backwards and forwards. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't just come into this business and just because I've been around the block a few times and, you know, I've, well, I've had all saints, you know, so I must know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, you, you, you'll just listen to me and I, you know, that's it. And I say the right thing. It doesn't work. If I've learned so much off these young people at Gymshark, ranging from people like Noel Mack, who's chief brand officer, Niran Chana, chief commercial officer, you know, right down to execs in the business that I talk to in, in all the different parts of the business. You now our trainers that we've got, you just learn something new all the time. So if you give them the respect that they deserve, they'll give you the respect that you deserve. And if you get that going as a two-way street with the two things, it's, it's, it's gold dust. You know, it's you really know, cool. You know, back to that, that growth, you said, you know, we could be six, 700, you know, as, as opposed to the two, two, two fifty, whatever, Mark, you said with um, million turnover revenue. Has it been hard sometimes to, because everyone's always talking about growth and it's it's the word, you know, super growth, fast growth, growing, growing, growing. Has that been difficult at times to to turn down those opportunities or not because your laser focus is on maintaining that relationship direct with the consumer? Um, 
it's not been difficult because we are we are 100 focused we it, again another thing that we we talk about is you know sometimes it's not what you do it's actually what you don't do so you know we've had so many businesses offered to us that we could have done ranging from hair products to jeans to fitness equipment you know opening gyms doing you know whatever you can think of that we've had offered to us and we literally think we haven't got enough time to do what we're doing now yeah. so let's keep doing what we're doing as best we can and we think we do that pretty well rather than get get tied up in other things that would sidetrack us from providing our consumer with the best experience they can possibly have yeah. uh, and that's what we've done so yeah it is difficult because sometimes you're thinking oh we should we should have a look at that you know and and you know the entrepreneur in you goes oh we're missing a trick but i think what i've learned from ben is that laser focus eye on the prize and and the difference here is we have a market within our sector that is exponentially huge so even though you know we are half of our sales are in the states in terms of the marketplace it's like this you know so if we grow it to that we're at a billion before we've even blinked so you know why would we want to go and do hair products or i don't know something else when we can do what we do better and go to there and yeah. it, it just seems such a good thing and that's where ben keeps keeps people laser focused on, on his, his views so i mentioned two things that i'd like to talk about with you uh, today paul and the second thing is the office space and i know that's something that you have you know had a big a big part to play in and you come to your you know your head offices in in, in Solihull and they're just they're beautiful on the eye super slick they look fantastic it really brings the that extra tangibility to the brand so it'd be really interesting to to know from you the kind of the process of how you begin to design the offices and and the second part of that is how it's been affected as well the use of your office space obviously with recent events of the pandemic yeah yeah um so when we were in uh, Redditch, so we moved, they moved the guys from Bromsgrove. So, um, before I moved from Bromsgrove, they literally had one small office and uh, got them two porter cabins. I totally told them we were ordering one because they didn't want to splash out on two. So they initially had porter cabins. We then moved to Redditch and moved to this nice office and, you know, never thought we'd outgrow it for many a year. And um, <laughs> within 12 months, we had to get another one. And yeah. We were, we were getting towards about 150 people when we decided we need to move again. Um, so I found I found this office, which is GSHQ, as we call it now, um, which was we were in 11,000 square feet before. And, and this was 42,000 square feet. So a little bit of a jump. Um, and if you could just imagine the three of us, I'd already seen this building and I, I knew what we wanted it. I knew it was the right thing to do. But we're walking up and you've got the three different characters, you know, myself, Steve and Ben. And Steve is super cautious and he's sort of saying, oh, my God, there's no effing way we can afford this. Oh, my God. <laughs> ben and I are completely different. He's Ben saying, I really want this. And I just say to Ben, yeah, I'm going to get it for you. Don't worry. So we sort of went on that journey of this this huge building. And the thing is, with my role, um, especially in the past. I, I, I'm not a day-to-day guy. I'm not anything in the day-to-day. So the sales number, the commercial, the brand, you know, anything else, that that's not me. All of my work was to do with uh, nothing that was day-to-day. So I um, I sort of managed the process with Lewis of exiting him from the business. Um, I did lots of other things in terms of insurance and getting the right lawyers and all the stuff that's peripheral and, and building sort of foundations. Um, so when we wanted to take this office on, um, I just put a team together that I knew. Um, so I put a team of people I knew were experienced at doing it and could help me. And, uh, we then coupled up with a company called Octra, uh, who we still with today. Um, they're a design and build specialist, but the main reason for having this building was the main reasons for having it was a couple of things is. We wanted to announce that we're really we were here and we're here to stay. We yeah. weren't just a Procure Bromsgrove brand. Ben went once said to me when I asked him, 
what do you want to do with this brand? Do you want it as a lifestyle? He said, no, I want to be as big as Under Armour. And at that time, I thought, nah, you're not going to do that, but we'll have a good go. Um, but that is more than that is more than on the cards now. I can tell you that for nothing. It won't be <laughs> Under Armour up. Um, and we needed to, to, to from, from the staff point of view, we needed top people because we were basically, we had lots of local people. We maybe had the odd person from Manchester or the odd person from London, but really we were a very local business from the employment point of view and we needed to attract international people. So this was one of the ways of doing that. And, you know, we went into this with, we're not going to do this um, by halves. So what do we want this to look like? So we, we, we looked at doing this with Octro. It took a quite a long process initially. And um, the look we wanted, we based it around our products and, and, and colors. So we, we had a lot of grays, a lot of blacks, a lot of whites. So that was the sort of starting point of where we sort of went. And again, it was around natural things. So real concrete or real wood um, or something that was actually, you know, it was more about being real. Uh, and, and that's, you know, another thing that we, we like to do. We don't like fakes. So we, we, you know, we stick away from some imitation wood or some imitation concrete. Um, and then we, we built HQ and we walked in here with 150 people. Um, on day one, we all rambled around, sort of wondering what the hell we'd done and why had we done this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, everyone was sort of like, oh, my God, look at the amount of room we've got. And then not long afterwards, we were just changing things all the time because we were running out of space in certain areas. Yeah. And um, then from there on, we took on uh, GSLC, which is the lifting club, but within Within the lifting club, which obviously is a, is a gym, uh, the best gym in the world, by the way. Um, uh, stairs is is and uh, you know the rest of the building is the brand area. So that's got studios in. It's got studios for e-commerce. It's got film studios. It's got app studios. Um, it's got a small factory in where we produce seamless products for uh, R and D. Um, and it's got um, an auditorium for a hundred people with a like. Uh, at the town hall so you know we can do a lot, a lot of big meetings there um and again it's signature it's the same but again every building we do so we did hong kong as well in between that so we built one in hong kong um and there that was a seven eight thousand square foot building we did the same and it looks just like here it, it looks just like here so wow and you know when you go to the offices you you can tell you've got a lot a lot of young people that, that work at Chimshark. now how when you develop a, a space in terms of how people work together what, what have you found in terms of the way young people let's call them gen z you know that's what that's what they're often called how gen z kind of work and operate what are the, what are the key things that you have to bear in mind uh and as, as as you well know because we've discussed it um millennials and gen zers are um are quite different so we've got some challenges that we've you know we've developed uh, uh office space um and we do it collaboratively. So, you know, when we when we started the process here, we didn't just say, OK, this is what we think you want. We went to all the guys and we went round and round with them and we discussed what, what they what they wanted and what they needed. And we had some some weird stuff. You know, we want a shark tank. Uh, we want to want to, uh, you know, a sea view. Uh, we want a puppy petting all that sort of you know, tongue in cheek stuff. But we had a lot of good information from them. So they felt part of what we were building. So, you know, we, 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 we developed it as a long and we didn't get it all right. We, we 100 percent didn't get it all right. And that's some of the things we built for them and maybe some some of the things that the ideas we put forward. But we're always willing to adapt and we're always willing to sort of move on. Um, but it was collaborative. And, and the, 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 what we tried to create is um, a unique atmosphere of something that is you know we're in a, we're serious business people you know we we we, we want to turn over lots of money and etc etc but also we're here to enjoy ourselves you know if you're in a business eight hours a day and you're in an office eight hours a day the last thing you want is to can't wait to get out at night and what i will say is when you drive up to this place people's faces start to smile and they'll say that and you know it's hard for them to go sometimes and the atmosphere Ranging from, you know, we had sleep pods brought in. We bought two sleep pods so people 
doing long hours, could grab a, uh, you know, grab a nap in a sleep pod. We have a full restaurant. You know, it isn't a little cafeteria with, you know, two options. These guys are chefs that work here and we've got five of them. So wow. the offering we give, yeah, the offering we give is, is you know, is wide. Um, we have, uh, you know, baristas, two baristas. So the guy, you know, this place runs on coffee. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, they, they're charged with imitating. So we have them imitate Nando's. We have them imitate McDonald's. We have them imitate Burger King and, you know, to try and keep, you know, they do all sorts of stuff as well as lots of healthy food. But it is, you know, it's there to be enjoyed. And, and so is the place. And there's, there's, you know, places to go and hide away and, 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 and you know, work on your own. And there's also collaborative spaces throughout the place that are all very different. And developing your Denver office, has, has the pandemic changed plans in any great way? Yeah. Well, the pandemic's changed, obviously, uh, literally everything that we do, you know. So um, picking up on what you said earlier, you know, um, we've had to adapt what we've currently got and, and we've had to adapt the process. So with Denver, um, I've literally went with the head designer, Sean, from Optra. We flew to Denver. Um, in three days, we picked the building, we picked the contractors, we picked the project manager, and we picked the architects. Um, we came back, and then we set in designing it, and then we haven't been back since because we can't. Right. Right. So we'll we'll be opening um, early November. Okay. Uh, I had a meeting this morning to see where we are on it. But we're going to have to open it and we're going to have to do all the work will have been done remotely from here into that office there with no one of our own on that ground at this point so it's going to be tough and um, we you know we're hoping we'd, we'd put five trips in there between to do the job you know there's five trips that we would have gone out and back yeah. and um probably someone would have stayed for the whole of the last month but obviously we can't because of you know covid conditions um and again, you know, with with COVID, we you know we we set about doing Denver um, pre-COVID. Then, as COVID started to take a grip, we realised we needed to change the design because when we come out of COVID, working will be different. I mean, I think that what COVID has done for home working is it advanced it for about it's advanced us about three years or so. Right. I think what what we're going to do will have come, but it would have took us three or four years to get there. Right. Um, it's advanced us in terms of, you know, people being allowed to work from home, being trusted to work from home, it yep. being the, you know, the right thing to do and, and also to get their balance in life as well. You know, this doesn't suit everyone. Um, yep. We're going through a whole process now. We've The offices we're in now, we have currently about 100 people a day in out of the 400. Um, so about 25%, but they're completely safe. So um, we've done the COVID precautions and, and we could have about 170 people in the building but we're sticking at about 100 120 because that gives us plenty of leeway and safety and yeah. like that. well i've got a uh, those are the two questions that i wanted to specifically ask uh, about the business I've got, I've got a personal question now for you paul um you're 61 and uh, when you told me that i was like wow boy's looking good very very good very very good indeed you know and you look after yourself understand you enjoy powerlifting how has, and I guess this is really on point at the moment, especially with the pandemic and a lot of people really trying to, you know, because they've got more time maybe to, to do more fitness and what have you, but it's been a big part of your life, hasn't it? And part of your business life, because it's really helped you to, to, to operate at the, the best you can be. Has it always been a big part of, of your life? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lifter, you know, um, I like lifting heavy, so you know, a deadlift, you know, or have deadlifted and can deadlift 250 kilos, which is, you know, for a, for a six year old, it's pretty cool. Um, I like lifting heavy, I like lifting, it's what I do. Um, but also I, I admire anyone who, who does whatever they do. So if they're a crossfitter or they're a cyclist or a runner or, you know, play golf, whatever anyone wants to do for me, it's all fine. You know, just don't don't try and tell me to play golf or, or don't try and tell me to run <laughs> and I'll be fine with you. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's 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 great for people to do things. And um, I know for me in particular, it's it's been a huge part of my uh, well-being. And I don't just treat it as that, yeah, you know, I've got some guns or, 
you know, I can lift heavy or, or whatever it might be, you know, or, or whatever. It's also mental. And my mental well-being is based around my lifting as well. Because I know that um, I can have the most stressful day in, in, in GSHQ. And the last 11 months doing, you know, going through the, um, the investment process was extremely stressful because you're running a business at the same time and etc. But I would rock, rock down to LC, um, lifting club, and, and train. And the world, when I come out that door again, the world's okay. You know, it's fine again. The endorphins have kicked in and I'm feeling good. And for me, with lifting, it's it's. A, and I've done a bit of bodybuilding as well, so a, you know, um, back in the day, um, you know, the focus and the sort of regime that you go through, um, and and how you do things with your food and your training and everything else is is great for mindset for business. Yes. You know, so you know, it, it, one of my sort of sayings is, is, you know, I mean, again, you know, you can try and lift, you know, you can. You know, I'm at 2.30, so I go for 2.35 and I fail. So am I going to give up? No, I'm, I'm going to go back again. It might not be that day. It might be the following day and it might be the following week. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to try and lift 2.35 again and I'm, and I'm going to lift it. And, and that sort of is, is my way of sort of saying that if you get knocked down 10 times, you know, get up the 11th. Uh, you get knocked down 11th, you just get up 12. And, you know, in life you will come across all sorts of things that will knock you down for whatever reason and different people have got different levels of, of ability or different levels of resilience um but you all get knocked down for whatever reason as long as you keep getting back up that's the main thing and that's with business you know i've had knockdowns in my, in my life and you know some of my closest friends knows what some of mine are and uh, you know you can have failures and um you've got to get back up again and, and carry on and lifting does that for me and particularly mentally it's really really important for me and um i think you know if 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 the nhs could get a get a, a grip of it in terms of instead of giving people tablets for you know things very easily if if somehow it could be that you know i know if you if you speak to a, a, a gp um they you know if we went to them and they were you know able to do it they'd say get some sleep some good sleep Get a good diet and get some exercise. Nice. And then come back in three months to still still tell me then if you feel as bad as you did. And you probably won't. So And I think that hearing that uh, when we were chatting, you know, the other day really inspired me to to make it almost your non-negotiable. You know, you said you're going through a massive investment, uh, you know, plus running the day-to-day side of the business, but you still made that happen. So I've taken that on board, you know, it's your non-negotiable. It appears to me that's that's what it is with you anyway. It, it is, and, and, it, and, it, and it's a lot of the guys here, and they all do different things. I mean, you know, at times through the process, some of our guys were, were under immense pressure. And these guys are 27, 28. They've never done it before. And, you know, we, we because, to be fair, we've never done it to this size. I, I've done a much smaller raise. Um, but, again, this was new to me, so it was difficult for us to really prepare them. But hopefully, you know, they would tell you that we were there by their size. We were helping them, doing our best and, and making sure that they were okay. And, you know, they'll they'll remember this for a long, long time. And it means that, you know, when we do another one, uh, when we go to an IPO, they'll be far more um, resilient and, and far more used to what we've just done. Yeah. Well, Paul, it's been so fantastic talking to you. Absolutely loved it. You know, we've covered a lot. We've heard a lot about, I guess, the key lessons from your entrepreneurial, your own entrepreneurial journey. To then really understanding in terms of the brand and, and talking about how you've created this amazing kind of vibe in the place and your own personal your own personal regime really appreciated the time you've given us today i know you guys are immensely busy so you know from all of us at hubcp thanks so much for your time it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you can't wait to see what's going to be happening in the future with your with your brand i have a feeling it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger oh it's <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy ride that's for sure um we we sort of say we're actually only just getting started so a lot of things in the pipeline and as usual you know sometimes we need to take a breath and 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 look at it but we don't have time so we just cool thank you so much for your time it's been great talking to you and wish you guys all the best so thanks so much thanks thanks john it's been a, a fantastic opportunity
I hope everybody has enjoyed that podcast as much as we did producing it. Now, please do follow us because by doing so, that enables us to make sure you get all the notifications of all the stuff that we're going to be doing in the future. And also, please do leave a review so that we can see what you think and any ways that we can make things better so that you really enjoy the podcast experience, as I said earlier, as much as we do. So thanks so much again, and we look forward to seeing you soon.